comes up short, he can field it and run it out. All right, here we go. 56-yarder. It's got, no, does not have the leg. And Chris Davis takes it in the back of the end zone. He'll run it out to the 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50, 45. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis is going to run it all the way back. Auburn's going to win the football game. Auburn's going to win the football game. He ran the missed field goal back. He ran it back 109 yards. They're not going to keep him off the field tonight. <laughs> Holy cow. Oh, my God. Auburn wins. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl. Auburn has won the Iron Bowl in the most unbelievable fashion you will ever see. I cannot believe it. Oh 34-28. <laughs> Andrew Dowdy, Chase Katie on the High Motor Podcast, always talking college football on the High Motor Podcast. And we're going to jump back into conference previews after a wild week of announcements. We took a break from that last week and discussed some more big picture things with what's going on with college football right now. And it's going to be the SEC preview here on the show today. Last time we did the ACC preview, I wasn't expecting to do another one. I think you've said this a couple of times. It feels like each preview we've done, now this is the fourth one. Uh, we did, what, Big 12, ACC, and Pac-12. Now this is the fourth one. Same feeling that you've said before. I feel like we're not going to do another one, but I truly, truly felt that when we did the ACC preview now a week ago, I thought we would have full uh, full cancellations either by that last episode that we did that weren't previews or by this episode I still feel that, again, maybe not as strongly as when we were doing the ACC preview, but we have one more left, G5. We're going to talk about the G5 teams that are still in for the season, but I still have that same feeling. you think this is it? Do you think that we don't get to the G5 preview by Thursday? It's definitely possible. I mean, the stuff is happening so fast now. We've already got G5 conferences that have backed out. Uh, I I would not be surprised if a week from now it was the American and that's just kind of it. Or I guess where does like the Sun Belt fit into that? Because the Sun Belt has basically, I don't know if they said publicly, but it's been reported that they're essentially just following the SEC. And because I know that you've said or the perception seems to be like we've all just said the SEC is probably just going to play football no matter what. No matter what happens anywhere else, I haven't felt that as strongly. I could see the SEC canceling. But, I mean, where does the Sun Belt come into play and in those other teams, Conference USA, American, that are within that same geography, geopolitical, however you want to put it. Do we just assume that the Sun Belt is just kind of tied to the SEC and that the SEC is going to play no matter what? Uh, I think that's a fair assumption. I think when you look at the Sun Belt, it is culturally similar to the SEC in a lot of ways because it's a lot of southern schools that are in small college towns. They're not really in big metropolitan areas. I know there's some exceptions to that. But I think that's kind of the majority of the conference. And that's that's a lot like what the SEC looks like, too. Uh, and if you compare that against other conferences, like Conference USA, like maybe some of those schools are in bigger, uh, wider areas with more population. And then I think the other thing is we've already seen individual schools in places like Conference USA start to cancel their seasons. So I think there are some nuances that are a little different. When you look at the schools and the, and the conferences uh, as a whole, I don't know. I, I, it's really hard to predict how it's going to shake out, but it, it feels like we are slowly, I mean, we said this the last episode, 
it's just sort of this slow drain where every day you wake up and there's one more conference that's gone or there's there's four more schools that are gone and it's just like it's this slow march towards September and I I just don't know how much is going to be left at the end of that. Do you think there's another conference that does not give a fuck as much as the SEC does? I think the SEC would play no matter not no matter what was happening in the world and the country, but no matter what else happened around college football. There's been some talk that if the Big 12 were to jump out or not play this season, that the SEC and ACC would follow. I don't know how much of that I buy because the SEC sure sounds like a don't-give-a-fuck conference where I don't know if like the Pac-12 would still play if everybody else was out, or the Big 10, or the Big 12, or the ACC, but the SEC sure feels like we're going to play and we don't care. We're going to have the SEC championship and we're even going to push for a playoff. It has to be the case more so than any other conference, right? Yeah, it feels like uh, it, it feels like they are headstrong enough and self-assured enough to say, hey, we're going to make our own decision and we're going to be confident that de- the decision we're making is the right one. And re- regardless of whether or not other people agree with it, we're going to look into this, this ourselves and we're going to make our own decision and we really don't care what other people are doing. And that's, I mean, I, I respect, even if I may or may not ultimately agree with whatever the decision is that they come to, you know, by the start of the first game, uh, I kind of respect that thought process. I, and this is totally speculation, but I just felt like watching the Big Ten go through this a few days ago, it kind of felt like they were trying to gauge the room while they were making the decision. And, you know, they would they would leak information and then watch how people reacted and then the coaches would talk and then they would... You know, they would have another meeting, they would take another vote, and the presidents are involved. It, it just felt like they were trying to gauge public opinion more than the SEC, which is probably just going to be like, hey, we're going to do whatever we want. And then the other thing with the SEC fans, like I, I don't think probably presidents or commissioners feel this way, but I think with the fans, it's probably like we're actively – hoping that everybody else cancels and we are the only people that play so that we can beat our chest about, you know, it's cliched and kind of overdone at this point, but the whole, it just means more thing. Like, I think a lot of fans really enjoy that. Like, oh, you think you like college football? Come down to the South where it is just on another level. And this is, I mean, this is like our, some places, entire economies. This is some places, entire way of life. This is the only thing we care about. So I think there are fans in the South that would probably like the idea that everybody else is going to fold and we're going to be the last one standing. Go us, SEC. Oh, yeah. Like in Oxford and Auburn and Tuscaloosa, they're going to have T-shirts being made that says, we played football during the pandemic. Like 10 years from now, like they're still going to be shouting that. Like if you go to a game down in Starkville and you're playing, I don't know who they'd be playing against, like Bowling Green or something. The Bowling Green fans are coming down there. Oh, yeah, we we played in 2020. Yeah, Yeah, you guys canceled. We played. They're going to have T-shirts made. And all that kind of shit. Let's actually talk about football here. We're doing SEC preview. We did Big 12, ACC, Pac-12, like I said. Obviously, doesn't matter for Pac-12. We didn't get to the Big 10. Uh, we are doing SEC today. We will do Group of Five on Thursday's episode if there are still enough Group of Five teams to do that. And we're going to start with where we've started every other preview, the worst good team. And this one was hard for me because I don't I don't have a, a team in that same ballpark as we have kind of defined where this worst good team sits in each, con- each conference. I don't have a team in that same ballpark like I did in the, uh, the Big 12, ACC, and Pac-12. I think I had said TCU, Pittsburgh, and Stanford for those three conferences. Pre-cancellations, before all this went down, when I finished my personal rankings, I think sometime in mid-June, 
I had Kentucky at number 28. They were the final of eight different, so I had eight SEC teams in the top 28, seven ahead of Kentucky, and then Kentucky at 28, and then nobody else until 56. And I had three teams piled together, 56 Mississippi State, 60 South Carolina, 62 Missouri, and obviously that has changed with teams canceling, and, and I'm a little bit skeptical of first-year head coaches in the case of Missouri dealing with this. I think all three of those teams are worse, in the case of TCU and Stanford, far, far worse than the teams I've picked before. Again, TCU, Stanford, and Pittsburgh. But I think that Kentucky is far better than those three teams. So I don't know what to do here. I think they're they're fine teams. Again, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Missouri. I think the worst good team is among those three. I just I don't even want to say that they're good. What do you have here? Maybe your look at it can kind of sort out this mess that I have. Uh, if I had just gave the answer that you gave, what you would say to me was, so you didn't really answer the question. Is that I would correct? never say that. I would never say that. Oh, You're, you're still so pissy weird. about the whole Jimmy Lake debacle. <laughs> Ever since the Jimmy Lake debacle went down, you've been a little short with me. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I just want you to recognize my great Washington theory, but we can come back to that at a later date. Uh, just not in this calendar year, because evidently there's going to be no Pac-12 in this calendar year. Uh, maybe he'll still get fired. Maybe, you maybe. never know. <laughs> that would be something if I if I pulled that out of my hat. Uh, okay, so I wrote down... Let me start here. I agree with you that I there are a lot of really strong... SEC teams. Uh, the, the top of the conference is very deep this year. So you said what? You had eight SEC teams in the top 28 of your personal rankings? Yeah, and that was Florida, not in order here, Florida, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, LSU, Texas A&M, Auburn, and then Kentucky. I feel the same way. I think it's a shame that we're going to have some watered-down version of a college football season this year because I think this is probably going to be the best season that the SEC has had in a while mm-hmm. uh, in terms of quality of depth and i have i have pushed for a long time that hey the sec is still really good it's still maybe even the best conference so i don't want people to misunderstand me but i think there's a major gap in public perception and actual reality of what the sec is which is alabama's good every year there's one or two other really good teams there's one or two other pretty good teams and then there's a whole lot of average in the middle of that conference most years there are some exceptions. There was a year like four, five, six years ago, Arkansas finished like seven and six and they were last in the SEC West. Right. So there are ridiculous years like that where they have crazy impressive depth. Uh, I'm not taking any of that away from them. I think this was going to be one of those years where they had really impressive depth and more than half a dozen really strong teams. When I started looking at who that last good team was, I wrote down three names. Uh, Tennessee, who I'm way lower on than you, uh, I'm, I'm higher on Kentucky than I am on Tennessee. So I would say Kentucky, Kentucky's higher than Tennessee in my personal rankings. And then I was looking at South Carolina and Ole Miss. I scratched out Ole Miss pretty fast because that's just my ongoing love affair with Lane Kiffin and the Lane Kiffin experience. Uh, I think they could be halfway decent this year. I like what they bring back. Uh, I like the energy of Lane Kiffin as a first-year coach, but I think maybe there's just too much going on to assume that they could sort of jump into that last good team tier. Mm -hmm. I do think South Carolina is interesting. I think there's some pressure on Will Muschamp. I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Uh, So I think they could could turn out something interesting. They bring a lot of talent back. And then the SEC East, there are some winnable games in there. Um, But I'm going to go with Tennessee for kind of the same layout you had with those 
eight teams in the top 28. I think going past that, you have to go too far down. Uh, so even though Tennessee is a pretty good team, uh, that they're probably higher than our other last good teams. I do think the drop is too far after that, so I'll stick with Tennessee. Yeah, I'm definitely higher on, on Tennessee than, than you are and probably most people. I think that Tennessee and the coaches poll that came out, I don't know, two weeks ago, I don't think they were in the top 25. I think they were the second or third team out of it. And I have my rankings pulled up here, but pre-cancellations, I think I had Tennessee like 18 or 19. I'm having a really, really hard time. I don't even feel good about that, first of all. I don't feel good about Tennessee as a top 20 team. I haven't gotten burned on Tennessee as much as most people, I think. I haven't really bought into it. Didn't even love the Jeremy Pruitt hire that much. I am, I'm having a really hard time with Tennessee separating how they started last year and what I can see with my eyes versus how good they should be based upon how they've recruited for now quite a long time and how they looked in the second half of the season, more so like last two-thirds of the season, beating some bad teams. Because in the past, Tennessee hasn't done that. They've lost to the bad teams. I mean, we even saw them losing to a, a team like Georgia State who proved to be really bad last year. We just haven't seen Tennessee do that in the second half of the year that often. So even though they beat up on bad teams and kind of inflated their record, I still think that's worth something. Worth something at least a little bit. Where do you have Tennessee? I mean, are they a like a top thirty team to you? Top forty? Top fifty? What ballpark are they in? Um, probably top forty for me. I think they're in the back half of that uh, top forty range. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised if they were in the forty to fifty range. Uh, because I just think Tennessee is one of those teams you you make them show you that they're better than you think they are. You 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 uh, maybe don't give them a ton of credit ahead of time. Like that, I'm not going to let them buy on credit in, in like my own emotional development for teams. So uh, yeah, probably in that top 40 range is where I'd put them. Let's do dark horse here, and this one is is really hard for me too because. Mm-hmm. For me, before all this, and probably still now, Alabama is the second best team in college football behind Clemson, in my opinion. Basically tied with Ohio State. I think you were a little bit higher on Ohio State going into the season than I was. And then I also have Georgia and Florida in my top six. So you just talked about the, the depth. Not only do, does the SEC have that elite talent in Alabama, they have two really, really good second-tier teams in Georgia and Florida, then a whole bunch down from 7 to 28, like I said, with Kentucky. So anyways, Alabama, I think, is the second-best team in college football. Then I have Georgia and Florida in my top six back-to-back. I think I had Georgia 5 and Florida 6. So for me, I don't see a dark horse here in the sense of another team not named Alabama winning the West and a team not named Florida or Georgia in the East. I don't see a dark horse in that sense, even winning the division, let alone winning the conference. So kind of like we did with the ACC when I chose Louisville, we talked a lot about Louisville and Florida State in that conference, even though we both agreed that that division and that conference has belonged to Clemson, does belong to Clemson, and will belong to Clemson for the near future. But kind of like I did in the ACC when I did choose Louisville not to win the conference or even, even the division, but just to be better than I think most people think they will. That's why I think here it is Kentucky. When you're bringing back that much production, there's some concern at quarterback, some concern at the skill positions, maybe some concern on the defensive line. And I'm not saying that's that's not nothing there. Those are real concerns, especially when you have the schedule and the depth of talent that that conference has. But elsewhere, there's a lot of talent with Kentucky. There's a lot of depth for a team 
that's probably widely viewed as the fourth best team in the East. It sounds like you think they're probably the third best team in the East. They do have a brutal road schedule, Alabama, Florida, mm-hmm. and Auburn on the road this year. They get Georgia at home. They get Tennessee at home. This just feels like another Kentucky team that will be better than their record will suggest. It seems like in a normal year, this will be a Kentucky team that goes 8-4. and four, and I'm like, nah, but they're better than the average 8-win season. I think they'll probably land... Seven and three, maybe eight and two at very, very best. And I, I don't think those win totals are available at the moment, are they? I mean, this feels like, a, like a five and a half win total team if they were available, doesn't it? Uh, five Four, and a half would be six? pretty low for a team this good. I would think it would be higher than that. Maybe we can look that up and follow up uh, with some social stuff. Yeah, I didn't even know if those were available, but I, I would have. Th- I'm putting it at that because of that road schedule because they're going to be heavy road underdogs in each of those games. And then you're saying they need to not lose two games out. Anyways, I would be taking the over on something like a five and a half or maybe even a six because I just don't see the floor for Kentucky this year. I don't see a four and six. I don't see a five and five season. They're not going to win the East. They might not even come within a game, but I really like them much better than you realize. Better than the six and four, better than like a seven and three team you would think that perception would be. Yeah, so just to follow up there. Uh, the back when the uh, the win totals were originally posted, so this doesn't reflect anything now. Back when they were originally posted in the spring, Kentucky was at seven. So you would think they'd probably be at five and at five, five and a half, right? Yeah, taking away those non-conference. I would, you're making I would your schedule harder, and you're taking away the games. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would comfortably take the over on that. And even still, I think that that record is not going to reflect how good this Kentucky team was. I mean, twenty-eight. That's that's. I know the top 25 is completely arbitrary, and we've just pulled that number out of our ass over the years, but when you're in that top 25 to 30, you are a good, solid team for that season. So I think that Kentucky, they don't have a chance really to win the division, in my opinion, but I think they're going to be much better than people realize. So I suspected that you were going to take some kind of approach like this, especially after that ACC uh, episode that we did, because it's it's really hard to identify a dark horse for the SEC this year. Uh, if you know if you're talking about a dark horse who is somebody that's going to come out of relative uh, obscurity or not being talked about uh, relative to how good they are and win the conference, that team doesn't really exist. So you you mentioned Alabama, you mentioned Georgia, you mentioned Florida. I think all three are legitimate national title contenders. So obviously they're contenders for the SEC championship. They are uh, talked about accordingly. I think Texas A&M is talked about a fair amount. Now, I know they're talked about every offseason, but I do think that other people have said, hey, no, I think this year is a little bit different. Look at what they have coming back. Look at the schedule. Uh, look at the, the potential opportunities in the West with Alabama still obviously very good, but maybe they're not as completely mythologically unkillable as they have been in other years. Different people have different opinions on LSU. I am firmly in the... LSU seems a little bit overvalued right now, camp. Uh, but people still are like, hey, they're the defending national champions. They do have a decent little schedule. They get Alabama uh, in, in Baton Rouge. So, I mean, I, it's tough. It's tough. There's no actual, like, definition dark horse for I this don't even see. I don't even see the argument for, like, I mean, let's take last year, LSU going into the season. If you had said that LSU was going to win the West, win the conference championship, that would have been considered probably a true dark horse, even though definitely 
LSU was ranked, I think it was, they were a top 10 preseason team. We just didn't know how good. But even that, I don't I don't see it. Like, I think that Texas A&M and, and LSU and Auburn are going to get top 10 votes. I don't know if that's where they're going to land this season. But it's it's really easy to sit here and say that we couldn't have seen something like that coming and we can't see it coming again this year, but that's why you play the games. It doesn't even feel like we have that last year where I can even, or this year where I can even see any sort of argument. So do you have a team that's similar to what I'm looking at and saying, I don't think this team is going to win the division or the conference, but generally I'm higher on this team than you think most people will be? If you told me I had to pick one, I would probably pick Kentucky too, because I think... Uh, I think the East is mathematically vulnerable right now. I don't think that Kentucky is a better team than Georgia. I don't think they're a better team than Florida. But if you look at Georgia's schedule, it's even harder than Kentucky's is. It's, I mean, it's just ridiculous the games that they're going to have to play and their the home road splits. They got to go to Alabama. Uh, they they play Auburn. They play Florida. They're at Kentucky. Uh, they're, I mean, it's, it's they're at South Carolina, which I don't think is is a walkover. So it's, it's just going to be hard. Uh, and then Florida, I, I feel like they're right there. Kentucky is going to be able to position themselves maybe with some luck uh, in contention for that title, kind of like we talked about in 2018, where I don't think we think Kentucky is the best team in the SEC East, but the way the schedule breaks down, they're going to be in it mathematically late. So I, I think I would do the same thing you did. The thing that sort of brought, uh, the, the thing that drew my attention, and this is really pushing the boundaries of what a dark horse could be or what that means, but I was I was started looking at schedule breakdowns and who who's, who's home and who's on the road and for what games. I would never tell you that Alabama is a dark horse, but one thing we haven't really talked about is how favorable Alabama's schedule is supposed to be for this year. Relative to everybody else's. Yes, they have to play some hard games. You don't get to be in the SEC West and have an easy you know, ride. That just doesn't happen. But a lot of their games that are going to be the, sort of the deciding factors for how their season goes, it's in Tuscaloosa. They do have to go to LSU, but I think they're going to be kind of head and shoulders better than LSU this year. So I don't, I don't really worry about that game as much at least any more than you would when you have to normally worry about going to LSU. Like, I don't really elevate it above that normal, that's a hard place to play kind of thing. So I think given that there's no great answer for this, my answer is kind of Alabama's schedule and the fact that that could be uh, an interesting factor, all other things being equal in how the uh, how the SEC ends up shaking out. Yeah, and it'll be interesting the home field advantage piece, because we don't know how this is going to play out. I mean, some schools are still saying they're going to fill their stadium at 25% capacity. I I haven't been paying as close to attention as that, as actual which teams and conferences aren't playing, but there are some teams that are still planning on putting fans in the stands. We don't know how that's going to play into home field advantage. We don't know if it's going to be more of, are your travel plans tighter? And that's, what's going to give you a better advantage. We have no idea how it's going to play out. So that, uh, that's going to be really interesting to watch this season let's do some irrelevancy talk and shit on some programs here or probably just one program because it's Vanderbilt like I don't even know how deep we need to go in this because it is Vanderbilt I mean Arkansas hasn't won a power five game since 2017 they probably won't win one in 2020 
but they do have some of that that futility stock, that futility relevancy that Kansas has. And I think they still have a lot of it. They should be better than they are. I mean, this is kind of like what you mentioned about Arizona a while back. We probably hold the Arkansas program in a higher regard than it is, just like in Arizona. Therefore, I think that's what's made them more relevant, that piece combined with how bad they've been now for going on two or three years. It has to be Vandy here. I don't think there's even really a deep discussion to be had unless the discussion maybe is what's the irrelevancy gap between Vandy and then if you think that the second most irrelevant team is Arkansas. There's no disagreement here, is there? Uh, I'd, I'd say there's a little bit, yeah. So the first thing I would say is I don't know that I agree with your premise that Arkansas falls into the uh, the Kansas Rutgers school of like laughable irrelevance where you're so bad and you're so often a punchline that you're nationally known for being terrible. I, I don't think Arkansas is in that at all. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we were finishing out our, uh, our own uh, Neighborhoods podcast series, we forgot about Arkansas. And we had to go, oh yeah, Arkansas, we haven't put them in here yet. Like we totally forgot that they existed. And part of that is because we were taking 130 teams and trying to sprinkle them throughout 10 different neighborhoods. And so sometimes you you just got to check yourself and we were checking ourselves out loud. But there is, I think, a real idea behind the fact that, you know, when we think of who's the worst uh, program, football program in the Big Ten? Well, it's Rutgers. Well, who's the worst football program in the Big 12? Well, it's Kansas. Well, who's the worst football program in the SEC? Well, it's Vanderbilt. You know, we we did a podcast where we took one team at every conference, and we took out Vanderbilt, and we didn't even think twice about it because Vanderbilt's terrible. But Vanderbilt, if you want to talk about competitive relevance, you mentioned that Arkansas hasn't won a game since 2017. Vanderbilt, the last ten seasons, they've been six and six or better. Arkansas hasn't won a game in three years, an SEC game in three years. So, I mean, I think it's a more nuanced conversation than just it's got to be Vanderbilt because Arkansas, you know, it, it's the, that 11 and 2 season in 2011 or, or you know, whenever the, the last Bobby Petrino year was, I think it was 11. I mean, that's a long way away from here. Brett Bielema, for, you know, the problems that they had with him. I'm I don't I'm not convinced that they fired him too early. I mean they're they're just completely listless right now. They don't really have much of an identity. They're not like Vanderbilt levels of historically irrelevant. So it's just it's a weird uh one A versus one B with them that so, But I, you, you do agree that Vanderbilt is the most irrelevant. You just don't see the gap as big as I see it. I guess that would be the most accurate way to put it. Yeah, I think there's a case to make for both schools. Yeah, looking back at I pull up our neighborhoods, Vanderbilt was in that second to last tier. The last tier was just the pure shit of, of UTEP, New Mexico State, UConn, and UMass. And then Vanderbilt and Rutgers were the only two Power 5 teams in that second to the bottom tier with like Texas State, um, UTSA, South Alabama, and all that. And then the tier above that is where we had a lot of Power 5 schools, Kansas, Colorado, Maryland, and that's where also Arkansas lives. So I don't I don't want to make it seem like the gap is absolutely gigantic, but I think it's noticeable enough where we think of Arkansas football as a team that should be better than they have been recently. We don't 
see that with Vanderbilt. Like what we saw with Vanderbilt last year, yeah, it was it was poor based upon how they have done over most of the last decade, like you said. But it seems like we were just okay with that. I mean, even like having a Derek Mason hot seat discussion, which we'll probably have here in a minute, it's hard to say that Vanderbilt should be better than what they're putting out. I don't know. I mean, we saw probably the ceiling under James Franklin. It's the 8-4 and four with a bowl game. Like, that is the ceiling for Vanderbilt football. It seems really, really unlikely that they can hop above it. Is it impossible? No. I mean, look at what Harbaugh and Shaw have done at Stanford. A little bit different deal, but same general academic limitations, financial limitations, things like that for that type of a program. So I don't know if we're sitting here saying that Vanderbilt should be better, whereas it seems like we say it a lot that Arkansas should be better. That's where I'm coming from as much as anything else. Okay, yeah, that's fair. Want to do hot seat? Yeah, let's do it. Derek Mason has to be on the hot seat. Sure. Vandy issued that dreaded Derek Mason will be back next year. That was, I think, around like week 12 or week 13 last year in November. That was issued by an AD who's not there anymore. There's been just a stupid amount of turmoil transitioning in athletic department over the last few years. It's hard to say where that plays in. They've made some surprising hires, uh, especially Jerry Stackhouse again, but the decision makers who made those hires are no longer there anymore. Again, I don't think Derek Mason is necessarily underachieving at Vandy. I mean, going into last year, Derek Mason was arguably exceeding expectations because when James Franklin was replaced, I get that Derek Mason inherited the most healthy Vandy program in a long time, maybe ever. But it seemed like expectations were more of, let's just keep it afloat. We probably don't think he can do what Franklin did. I don't think he's necessarily underachieving, but it's clearly not getting better. I don't know if it's going to happen this year with the change for all of the reasons that we've talked about on past episodes with the circumstances of this bizarre abbreviated virus impacted season. But he should be 100% on the hot seat And thanks to a new rule from your bullshit Jimmy Lake theory, we have a new rule that you must name a replacement if you bring up a coach in this segment. I'm going to take a shot here and say Willie Fritz. He's at a similar, I don't want to say the exact same because Vandy academics is probably a little bit higher than Tulane, but he's still at a similar good academic school now with some type of limitations that Vandy have. If I'm Vandy, this is the call. I think it's Willie Fritz. I think you're finally going towards stability there. Do you agree that Derek Mason is and should be on the hot seat? Um, I think he has to be on the hot seat just because just because this is how college football works. Uh, I totally agree with your assessment that going into last year, you could argue that he was absolutely meeting expectations. Uh, three back-to-back seasons, uh, regular season, six and six, five and seven, six and six. So what's I mean, the expectation? Is it like five and seven? Like that's kind of where I think if you're you Vanderbilt and you're in the SEC and you're playing with way advanced academic uh, things considerations, yeah, I, I think anytime you go six and six at Vanderbilt, like that's that's a raging win. So I thought you were gonna say raging boner. No, that's I was not. the direction you were taking. That no, I, I did think you that's catch a, your, did you have to catch yourself? No. Are you sure? What are you doing right now? I'm talking about Vanderbilt football, which I got to be honest, doesn't put a lot of blood in my penis. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think it's fair to say he's probably on the hot seat. I mean, we're going into now, this is going to be year number seven. If, you know, if, if it's a bad year, 
I think we've talked ad nauseum about, you know, how does coronavirus affect the willingness of programs to, to fire coaches? I don't know the answer to that, especially about individual programs. But if they did look around and say, look, we get the coronavirus is going around, but this is year seven and Vanderbilt went, let's say, two and eight, uh, we, we're going to make a change. And we, we don't feel that's, that's you know, unreasonable. I don't think anybody could tell them they're wrong. I, the name that I wrote down for this, and, and I constantly cede authority in these things to you. I think this is something you are just way better at than me, the whole coaching carousel thing, and just the names. You're, you're way better with coaches than me. I do think I have you on this one. I think I have a better name than you. Notre you Dame defensive a... coordinator, Clark Lee. He's a oh, I thought you meant you had a guy who was on a hotter seat than Derek no, Mason. No, my replacement, I think, is better than you. Do you think it's better, or do you think it's more realistic and more attainable than Willie Fritz? I think it's both. I, I think it's— What's the argument? He's a First of all, he's a Vanderbilt football alum. He is a, a growing, hot name in the whole coaching thing. He is—because he's a coordinator at Notre Dame, he's going to step in to a Power 5 head coaching job. That's how it works. And this is— an interesting role. I think the argument against it would be, do you really want your first head coaching job to be Vanderbilt where the expectations, I I mean, the the job, the meta of the job is basically don't lose too much. Do you really want to put yourself in that position? But like I said, he's, he's a football alum and you can make pretty good cases for those guys. They, they get extra leeway in terms of the wins and the losses thing. So I do think it is, it is reasonable. It could work out better. Uh, he could have a longer tenure, and if I'm Fritz, I don't, I don't want to take this job. No, this I wouldn't take this job either. That, that's the piece of it. Like I, I think that he's a better candidate, but I don't think that. I also don't know, like, if he's getting calls. I don't know if like Rutgers called him. There have been some jobs. Like, did Colorado call Willie Fritz? I sure as shit would have before Carl Durrell. So it's more of would he even want this based on? I mean, he's taken some really, really hard jobs in the past. He's in another one right now, and he is doing well. That's kind of why I think he wouldn't mind it. But we both agree that Derek Mason is and should be on the hot seat. Yes. Uh, Who's do, the next name there? Do you want to take a minute to talk about, which another thing that I'm sure you you have a better handle on than me, the Jimbo Texas A&M minute, the contract situation, obviously. No, he's not going anywhere. There's no conversation. Yeah, he's way too have, they're way too financially no. invested in him, even though I think there is – I don't think anybody's saying anything yet, but I think people are kind of looking around like, okay, uh, we paid this guy a lot of money. And well, and this is a weird year, too, because there, this should have been the year. We don't know how all this is going to shake out with all the variables, but like this should have been the year where Texas A&M took that next step. Yes. The schedule wasn't as brutal. He's getting like those that first recruiting cycle halfway done. They're still recruiting really well. So I don't even we don't even need to talk about it. I don't think that there's even a conversation this year or next year for Jimbo. If he goes like I don't even care what he does this year. If he goes like four and eight next year. If he goes sure. five and five, you don't think people are gonna give him some no. side eye? God no. I think I'm five sure and that five people would be. people will be a little agitated, but the it's temperature not, would go up. But it's not he's actually on the hot seat. No, I agree. No. The money there is too much. I think that Will Muschamp is and should be on the hot seat. Agree. One number here is last December, his buyout actually dropped. That's kind of been the big thing with Will Muschamp. Basically, he beat Georgia, and he has a huge buyout. 
So he agreed to a reduced buyout last December. That took off $2 million, which normally I think we would kind of sniff at, but that's not nothing right now when these schools are trying to trim millions of dollars everywhere. It's still $13.5 million if he's fired December 1st. Same deal here as Arkansas and as Arizona. I think we hold this program in a higher regard than what they are, and I think it's really hard to meet unreasonable expectations at South Carolina. I mean, this is a program that, yeah, you had a few great years under Spurrier. You're in a, a decent recruiting area. You know, you have good facilities. Campus is nice. Columbia, eh. But it's still a big number for that buyout. So I think he might have been gone. Like, if we had a normal year and he goes 4-8 and eight in that ballpark, 3-9, and nine, this year I think he would need a complete bed shitting. But he's got to be on the hot seat right now. I agree. I think, I think that they... I don't think he would be gone this year. I think that next year is more of the conversation. And at that time, I think they take a few big swings. They land someone like a like a Brian Harson type. I think they take some bigger swings, but they don't land them. But I think Brian Hart, maybe maybe it is Harson. Like he expressed express interest in the Tennessee job, Oregon too. This is a worse job. This is a worse job than a Tennessee, and it's even farther into a region that Harson hasn't dealt with too much. But I'm going to take a swing here. I was going to mention a few other guys like Dave Kloss and Billy Napier, but I'm going to take a swing and say that Muschamp is and should be on the hot seat. And by next year, I think there is real conversations about him being gone. And I'm going to say Brian Harson to South Carolina. I'm interested in the idea of South Carolina going after Jeff Scott. So Jeff Scott uh, spent about five years as the offensive coordinator at Clemson. Uh, he goes to South Florida. Now, I am not sure what is going to happen with South Florida, uh, but I don't think it's. I, I think under normal circumstances, it would be a stretch to go. Hey, after that one year at South Florida, are you ready to make a change? And That's go? what I was going to ask. What's the timeline? I mean, especially right. being if this was a normal year and Jeff Scott goes like ten and two at South Florida, and Will Muschamp gets canned. I still think South Carolina takes some bigger swings, but I could see that. That's why I think that Muschamp should and is on the hot seat right now. But I think this will be a really interesting conversation next year, seeing what somebody like Jeff Scott does in year Even seeing like your guy Mike Houston. Like, what does he do in year one? I don't know if he'd be a candidate for this job. Yeah, I don't think will. he's a candidate for this job. But there, there, there are so many coaches that we both agree are rising quickly. Mike Houston, Will Healy among them. We don't even know if they're a candidate for this job. But in a normal year, I think we would have gotten more clarity and seen a path forward for those coaches, whereas this year things could be really, really quiet. Uh, Yeah, I think all that's true. Great. Anybody else in the hot seat for the SEC? Any more batshit theories like Jimmy Lake? I don't think so. I think that's it. Where does this conference sit three years down the road? I mean, three years looking ahead, Nick Saban, 68 right now, turning 69 in October, 72 He'll be in 2023. I don't know what the number is for him. I don't know if there is a number for him, but that's you got to believe that's getting up there. You have two guys in the other division who look like they could be at their schools a long, long time, and Kirby Smart, Dan Mullen, a lot of new, young-ish type of coaches across the SEC that could be at their schools or even jump up to maybe a better SEC school by then. Uh, there's a Jimbo Fisher factor we talked about. How long is Mike Leach going to be there? Is Lane Kiffin going to get Ole Miss rolling? I think that Gus Malzahn will probably be gone by then. But anyways, what is the power dynamic of this conference looking ahead three years? Well, first of all, I I think one of the most 
it, it made the news cycle, but I don't think it got enough attention. And that was when Alabama scheduled that uh, Ohio State series. Now it's way off in the distance, but Alabama never plays those games. Okay, they'll play a neutral site game in Atlanta or Dallas or somewhere, usually Atlanta, against some B level ACC team. Some B-level Big 12 team. Like, I think the only team I can think of is when yeah, they played USC, but they were down. And then Wisconsin was the only other game. They've played, that they've they played, played West Virginia and Atlanta. they played Louisville. They've, they, yeah, it's like the high-level. I, mean, I don't even know if I want to call Wisconsin B-level. But yeah, like a high-level B-level Wisconsin is all they've of all they played. Yeah, they, they play games that they know they're going to win. They play the one game, and then that's, that's kind of all they do in the non-conference. And they do that because they can, because they know Saban's really good and the record's going to be there. And why take chances when you don't have to? We're going to be undefeated at the end of the year. We're going to be right there because we're Alabama. And and I, I'm not knocking it. That's knowing your brand and knowing you're going to get the bounces and being intelligently strategic about how you put your schedule together. The fact that they are now scheduling, if you look at the next eight years, some of the non-conferences they have, I don't think it's crazy conspiracy talk to say they are telling us that Saban is not going to do this much longer. So I really think that Saban is going to probably leave this program sooner than later. I really do believe this. And I don't know what happened. I don't think they're going to be irrelevant when he's gone, but they're not going to be the machine that they've been the last decade. The SEC is always going to be the SEC. I I mean, it's... It's not going to be the Pac-12 five years from now. So it, it's going to be one of the premier conferences year in and year out. But it, it, I think the power dynamic is going to be way different. I think, I think we're going to see a big shift toward the SEC East maybe a couple years from now. Uh, to your point about Mullen and, and Smart, I think we are going to see the power shift eastward and it's going to still be a really good conference. They're still going to have national title contenders. I don't know that they're going to dominate the national title thing like they did from, let's say, 2010 to 2015. But it's still going to be a really good conference. I think the names and the the programs that are at the very, very top, maybe we could see some turmoil there. That's an interesting theory about Alabama scheduling moving forward. I've n- I haven't seen that. Did you you just thought of that? Did you see that somewhere else? I had never that never crossed my mind why they could be scheduling those games. I saw a couple people murmur about it, but I really took the time to look into it and think about it, think about yeah. what it means. Uh, and and it, it's you know it was something I wanted to write out the notes for for uh, for an episode of my own podcast, Master of None. I never did, uh, so I've just kind of been sitting on it. Like I, I wonder where this is going to go, and I, I really feel like it's. That's what it means. All right. As long as there are some G5 teams left by Thursday, we will talk group of five on Thursday. That'll drop right away on Thursday morning before your commute if you are heading into work. When was the last time you had a commute? When was the last time you went to a real job on a daily basis? Like you went to an office and had a daily commute. Me? Mine was, yeah, mine was <laughs> six years, seven years ago. Uh, I mean, I, I teach. Um, but that's so, not a daily thing. Like that's not you're a daily hopping thing. into the minivan at no. 7 a.m. No, it would have been, it would have been uh, about a year and a half ago. 
Oh, so you're not even close to where I'm yeah, at. Yeah, no, I, I had like a little three month contract that where I worked with a, an, an industrial refrigeration company. So it would have been it would have been that. But that wasn't even a long term. thing. That's where you did a lot of skirting uh, corporate responsibility, how you put it. It may have been. It may have been. It may have been. All right. That's Chase Kitty. I'm Andrew Dowdy. This is the High Motor Podcast. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's name. But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in between